0: Boo! In honor of If I Stay, who is the worst movie ghost?
1: I'm Katie Rich and I'm going with Bill Cosby as Ghost Dad because he ruined Sydney Poitier's directing career. Uh, I'm Joanna
2: Robinson. I'm going to go with Kobe Smulders in, I don't even remember what that movie was called, Take Shelter? Oh. Save oh, safe safe Haven. Haven oh, safe for being Haven. the worst plot twist of all
3: time.
0: Spoiler alert. Or
3: maybe the best. <laughs>
0: I am Matt Patches, and I'm going to go with Ghost from Matrix Reloaded.
3: Remember that guy? <laughs> I'm David Ehrlich.
0: It is my self-appointed duty
3: to point out that she is not a ghost if I stay.
0: And I'm we spent about with- 20 minutes debating if she was a ghost, and I, I will not take <laughs> I will go no for an answer.
3: With, with Susie Salmon, because, oh, <laughs> are you the Salmon girl?
0: Stop stealing my lines. Gentlemen, you can't fight in here. This is the war room. Fine,
2: I can hear you now, Dimitri. Clear
0: and plain and coming through fine. I'm coming through fine too,
1: eh?
2: Good, then... Well, then, as you say, we're both coming through fine.
1: Good. Well, it's
2: good that you're fine, then, and, and I'm fine. I agree with you. It's great to be fine. It's, it's, on- it's a podcast. podcast.
1: Hello and welcome to Fighting in the War Room, episode 36 for Tuesday, August 19th, 2014. David, I hear we have some reviews to talk about before we get into things?
3: We do indeed. Uh, well, <laughs> my favorite review this week, and I, I say this from a completely unbiased perspective, is uh, titled Long Live Ehrlich from Dr. <laughs> Submarine. Was this from last week? I can't remember. I, I feel think. like, yeah, this is oh, you're repeating now. Repeat? You're just okay. repeating praise okay. for yourself. I, I, I don't know how that happened. It's, uh, it's a glitch. Uh, uh, <laughs> we'll go to our, our two uh, genuinely new reviews. One from... Clow Clow, that's C-L-A-O-C-L-O-W, who says they've been listening to the podcast since the first quarter quell. They missed the memo that we changed the podcast name, but found us after listening to Patches and Dave's Cora podcast. hey should check out if you haven't already, if you're into s- that stuff. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> F off. <laughs> now I can fill my work days with Dave's somalism. Patches occasionally liking a movie that everyone agrees was a flub. Katie's struggle to get her point across, and Dave Seven's fanboyism's. Love Joanna, hope she gets to be a recurring guest. Don't we all? And thanks, finally, to Luke662, who says, Awesome Podcast! I love this podcast, and whether I agree with you guys or not, I still love every episode I listen to. I've noticed that David will trash 500 Days of Summer every few episodes or so, (laughs) <laughs> true so i was wondering if you could give us complete thoughts and tell us why he hates it well luke six suits too we don't <laughs> oh my God. have the time for that right now that's gonna be
0: a three-part but... <laughs> episode <laughs> exactly. of the, future. But,
1: uh, the, next, the next quarter quell uh, is an hour uh,
3: i, I will make it. my pledge to you that at some some future episode of fighting in the War Room, we will revisit that
0: topic in depth i should watch it again maybe I maybe too. i need to give it another chance
1: but you all hate it
0: Maybe summer needs to get yeah, hit I, another chance.
1: I liked it.
2: I saw it a couple times. I liked it fine. I would. I would gladly like take the pro stance in the great 500 days of summer debate.
1: All right. Well, when that war rages, and uh, those of you who only listen to the podcast because you like Joanna and you can't stand the <laughs> rest, uh, then you can side with Joanna in that battle.
0: I was born and raised down in Alabama on a farm way back up in the woods. I was so ragged that Folks used to call me patches Papa used to tease me By of course deep down inside He was hurt Cause he'd done all he could My Papa was a great old man I can see him With a shovel in his hand See education he never had He did wonders When the times got bad The little money From the crops he raised Barely paid the bills we made Old life had kicked him Down to the ground When he tried to get up so i actually saw uh, a hard day's night. The, the I believe that's the first Beatles film. Uh, came out in 1964 black and white comedy directed by Richard Lester who went on to do uh, Superman 2 highly <laughs> underrated um but I, I actually saw the film not too long ago for the first time uh, when it w- came around for its re-release over the 4th of July. Uh, and, and now, if you have never seen it or if you have and, and you want to revisit it, it's actually on Hulu. It was just added to, to Hulu. Oh, I believe, come on. It's actually on
3: Criterion, dual format, DVD and Blu-ray
0: release.
1: Burn! Okay, go, but, go but not
0: everyone is seeking out the discs here. This, well, is, this should, makes it be. extremely accessible. Stop being a snob. Stop sniffing your own Stop farts, being a fucking
3: troglodyte. Go, go out <laughs> and support.
0: Okay, so you we can see A Hard Days. Day's Night. You can see it on Criteria Disc. You can see it on Hulu. There's so many ways to see this film, and, and I would insist that you do because I was surprised how contemporary it feels, how, how – indebted many movies and and the uh, music video art form i would say is is kind of rooted in everything that lester is doing in a hard days Night. and i turn it to you guys uh right off the bat I, i'm just curious about what you think about this film if you've watched it recently if it holds up um, and why why does this movie feel so fresh even today i mean it seems to be pulling from the kind of french new wave and it's infusing it with um, just, uh, not an American tone, I guess, but because the Brit- uh, the Beatles are British, but uh, th- it, it's distinct from what the French were doing at that time. It's it seems American to me when I was watching it. What, what do you guys think about a hard day's night?
3: Uh, I mean, it's it's saddest as a classic, it's sort of indisputable, and I think you know everything you're saying about uh, the how it informed the grammar of uh, how pop, like the, sort of the the bedrock of the relationship between pop music rock music and cinema is uh is completely accurate and and hard to argue i rewatched this film a few weeks ago and you know i, I think this is a, a dangerous opinion to make particularly when you don't feel all that strongly about it and we're just as soon keep your mouth shut but i i,
0: I think, <laughs> that's not what this podcast
3: is exactly for. uh i think a hard day's night is is indisputably jarring at, at times and there are electric scenes in it Uh, most of which are front-loaded, and then there is the... uh,
0: The long bit at the TV station. Yeah, the TV station
3: I find sort of enervating. I think that a lot of the the bits don't really play for me. I've never really been a huge fan of Richard Lester's uh, brand of comedy, uh, which may not help things here. I think it's a fascinating document of the Beatles at a point in time. Mm -hmm. Um, But I do find my interest waning severely during the second half of the movie, only to be intermittently restored most famously with the that i, I believe it's a title is it the title song that they play when they're all running around with the helicopter and
0: i believe you are correct or is that when the police are chasing them or when they're yeah. all in different places and crossing paths and yeah, yeah. I mean, it's just, this the chaos the chaos of, of how, the conclusion
3: how passive my attention is for this film and and i say that as somebody who really you know loves Beatles music but uh I I appreciate A Hard Day's Night more than I enjoy it, which is strange because I think it's known for being such a raucous uh, blast
0: of, of joy. But what are you going to do?
2: So I watched this when I was quite young. I, when I was in middle school, I went through a hardcore Beatles phase. And uh, that's...
0: <laughs> Your when own version of Beatlemania. Yeah,
2: it was. <laughs> and, and I was obsessed with George and... Listen to the Beatles all the time, and You're obsessed with George. Yeah, George. Oh yeah, George is my huh. Beatle. Okay, George is by far the yeah. best Beatle.
0: George is the best <laughs> Beatle, but I didn't think I was. I had many uh, people on my team. Yeah,
3: for that. Team George. Um, well, there there are four of them, and they are the most popular band <laughs> in music history. So, his, like statistically, you would have to
0: So think. other people. Yeah, but most people board. fight okay, between John and
2: Paul. It's true, and no one goes to bat for Ringo. So, um, but it's it is of its time. And I, I loved it when I was in middle school, and um, I didn't. I also watched Help at that time, and didn't understand it at all, but also loved it. And um, I, th- I agree with Ehrlich that there are things that don't hold up, and it's erratic and inconsistent. But the things that work are so joyful. And when you look at concert films that are made now, and this makes me sound so old, way even older than I am, (laughs) but, like, if you look at a Bieber thing or a Katy Perry movie or whatever, like, compare that to what the Beatles did. I know it's not the same thing, but it's... They were just so charming and amazing and, and lovely. And the scene with George and the dress shirts is one of my favorite movie scenes of all time. Even if it doesn't fully work, I love it. So,
3: You know what I don't like about this movie, just very quickly, something that bothered <laughs> me immensely, is I, I don't know if there's an earlier example of this. I think this movie could really be uh, the cement of the disc- – like. I, I, I hate when men refer to women as talent. Uh, when they' like walk to a bar and they're like, there's a lot of talent here. It's a very browy thing to do and and I understand that you know language of different time uh, exactly I mean, like uh, these things these things are all very oriented in their uh, in their context, but given my modern perspective, there is something really unctuous about hearing whatever, whatever one of them it is say in the train on the beginning, like, "Hey, there's a lot of talents in this." I
0: think that might have train. been Paul, and then he, I think marries.
3: I don't. I think it was John, and or not John. No, I think it was George who then married. No, don't the say woman. That. He's talking about or one of them married one of the women on the train. Anyway,
2: I mean the thing they were called lads, like that. That is their most defining. Like, name of the time, and it's so laddish, but in a very toothless way. Now, when you say like a lad mag, it's so grimy, and for them, yeah, I mean, it hit. I mean, I don't want to defend objectifying women, of course, but. of its time they just seem so very charming to me
0: and so i mean they're so young yeah right these guys are clearly in over their heads and that's part of the comedy here
3: is it any worse than calling anybody involved creatively in a film when you're doing publicity for it? talent i don't know that's also always rubbed me the wrong way
0: so you're not a fan of talent
3: wrangling no, I'm not a vo- I, I <laughs> loathe. My skin crawls every time someone's like, oh, but the, the talent has to sit over here. Oh, God. It's like, excuse me, but uh, I, we are all talented as well. <laughs> if, if no. The, we, no. We all have we're our not. own talents.
1: Wait, so we're just
3: not. We've got talent, and we are the void of talent. <laughs>
2: Kitty! <laughs> Katie has mm-hmm. never seen this, yeah. but like, do you have any perception of it, sort of filtered through pop culture in any way? All I
1: can think of is them running down the street, right. <laughs> uh, or like leapfrogging um, over each other in the, fields. That's about all yeah. I got. What you um, don't
0: know, what you don't know, is how funny the Beatles are. I'm, I'm shocked at I how have a sense
1: of how funny. I mean, I know that Hard Days Night would not work as a movie. I mean, I, I have seen enough of Spice World to know that you can't just wow. have them running around and have it work. She's saying that they are more
2: talented than the Spice Girls.
0: They are. Really <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yes.
1: exactly. I'm saying that I have. I am aware enough of Spice World yeah. to know that that movie's a disaster. Although and Spice World is night, kind of funny,
0: which is also now on Netflix. Finally, finally you can do the double feature.
1: Are you saying Spice World is as good as Hard Days Night?
0: <laughs> <laughs> um, Spice that World has saying? a better like bomb in the bus scene than a Hard Days Night, since our Hard Days Night does not have one. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I, I'm just like I keep going back to how exactly what you're saying, like the charisma that elevates this movie so much. I mean, the filmmaking is there. I I think this is easily Richard Lester's best movie. Uh, Surprisingly, it's one of his earliest and, and I mean, Superman 2, as great an action movie as that is, does not have the visceral energy of, of these four like outrunning swarms of fans or even the slapstick comedy and, and the, the hijinks that uh, they get up to with Wilfred Bramble, their grandfather, who is also hysterical in this movie and probably totally overshadowed as far as uh, the legacy of the film goes. But I, I'm just amazed how – I was trying to decide the whole time while watching it, like, who is the funniest – Beetle. I'm a big George fan, clearly, because he's just like working on a different plane of existence than everyone else. Um, John is know, probably the
3: funniest, though. Although
0: I, I don't know. I'm not with John. I'm not with John. I'm like between George and Ringo now, actually. Mm.
3: See, I don't think the movie is particularly funny, but That's I do think that don't it's... you
0: don't love things. <laughs>
3: <laughs> uh, no heart. But I, I do think it's interesting looking at the the grandfather character, especially because you can really feel, it's, I think it's still quite palpable watching the movie in the here and now, how England was... You know, this was, was already the sixties, but there was still the shadow of World War II. Uh, and you can feel in this film their pop culture really pivoting away from that. And the grandfather character is, is, you know, that last remnant of an older generation and the older mindset that came along with it. And it would really courses in this movie is the energy of, uh, youth culture that is desperate to move away from the the shackles of of this traumatic and you
0: can't find room to praise Lester in that oh, that's, uh, I, and I, why I, this movie
3: succeeds or fails I guess I I, no I I mean I, this is hardly I hardly have a negative take on Hard Days Night I think that there's <laughs> a lot of no I really I mean I think that just because I, it doesn't really do it for me as one of my favorite movies and, and something where my interest sort of flags doesn't mean that I don't recognize uh, its formal brilliance and all the amazing
0: contributions that Richard Lester. I, it, made I wish to someone it. could make oh. a movie like this today. I wish someone could take uh, the pop Girl stars Walk of today and all try. Day. No, this is not It see, it's not Girl Walk All Day, which is about talent. <laughs> well, that, uh, no, it's it's about. I mean, a dance film is not what is going on on a Hard Days Night. This is about personality. It's about charisma. It's about stardom. It's it's the opposite of Girl Walk All Day. And it just I would, doesn't I contend with you.
2: It could be wrong, but it just doesn't feel like artifice. It just feels like them being themselves, goofing off. Well, yeah, I mean,
3: the Beatles hardly had to uh, convince hordes of screaming teenage girls right. to freak out after that. But
2: them. it didn't work as – Right, but it,
3: they have
0: to convince us they're real people, And it right? didn't work
2: as well when they did Help, when they tried to have, like, a more intricate plot. Help is, is you know, not nearly so successful. And uh, and I, I feel like we can't talk about this without talking about the Monkees TV show, which is basically trying to be a Hard Day's Night TV show. And we don't have to talk at length about
0: it, but just – and mostly succeed. I mean, yeah. In my opinion, <laughs> yeah,
2: exactly. So,
0: why? But is it so any? Is it monkeys? head? How have you old seen? Are you? <laughs> have you seen head?
2: <laughs> I have not seen head. No.
0: Head is a fucking uh, yeah. trip and a half. Yeah. Oh my god! Yeah. Another
3: film uh, that's in the Criterion Collection. So go to the Criterion. Collection <laughs> Wait, really? <and laughs> yeah, it's in the. Uh,
0: I ha- in the P- if, for people who don't know, head is this. It's a, the monkeys movie, and it is like psychedelic. Is is too casual a word for everything going on in Head. And I, I believe that Jack Nicholson wrote it,
3: Head which can be is found crazy town. in the BBC, America Lost and Found, the BBS story, <laughs> Criterion box set, Head by Bob Raffleson. Check
0: it out. Fair enough. So you can watch Head there and you can watch A Hard Day's Night on Criterion Disc if you are uh, a true appreciator of art. Uh, but if you're not, you can just watch it on Hulu. <laughs>
3: if you're scum, <laughs> you can watch it on Hulu with me. It's a uh, Hulu plus it's wonderful. But...
1: It's
0: been a hard night, and I've been working like a dog. It's been a hard day. Right, for our
3: new segment today, we're going to be talking about great actors who are, you can tell are great actors, but have never had the role that really allowed them to uh, express the full potential of their talents and sell the world on what they're capable of and we're doing it in honor of love is strange which finally ends that streak for one of my favorite actors alfred molina alfred molina has been in uh, a handful of great movies but never really uh stealing the spotlight i'd say the closest he, he's come prior to love is strange in which he and Jonathan lithgow are both phenomenal especially alfred molina as a uh, married gay couple who have been together for 30 years and recently married and are facing some logistical issues uh, in New York. It's by Iris Sacks. It is really a beautiful movie. It comes out this Friday. Um, But, you know, Alfred Molina's biggest break before this was uh, Spider-Man 2, where he played Doc Ock. And there is no coincidence that Spider-Man 2 is is probably the best superhero movie ever made. And uh, he was also phenomenal in his hilarious... (laughs) sort of touching segment with Steve Coogan in Jim John Coffee and Cigarettes, in which they are long-lost cousins. Um, And I I just really, there's something about his energy that I I really love. I always love seeing him in movies, even when I don't happen to love the movies that I'm seeing him in. And so I'm wondering, uh, if I can open it up to the floor, what actors you guys really love and think, or, or think of phenomenal actors, but have yet to really have that one galvanizing role that allows them to be everybody else's favorite as well
2: first of all i want to ask you if you said that spider-man two thing just because dave gonzalez is not here
0: <laughs> <You> we <know>, only <I laughs> talk about
3: comic book movies you could dave. probably find at least <laughs> 10 episodes of the show on which i <laughs> yeah. mentioned yeah, spider-man D- two David as being is, David the
1: was on the record about spider-man two
2: okay um i well, i will say that my pick for this kind of unwieldy Topic was Clifton Collins Jr., who is an actor that I really, really love. Um, and he, you know, had a chance to show his stuff in Capote, but he got overshadowed by Philip Seymour Hoffman in that um, he can do comedy, he can do drama, he's a chameleon. And I feel like he's sort of one of those Andy Serkis characters where he needs his, like, Planet of the Apes before people will understand how great Clifton Collins Jr. is. So watch him in Sunshine Cleaning, Vegan Police and Scott Pilgrim, anything you want. What
3: about the rules of attraction when he's like, I need you <laughs> like I need an ass. <laughs> on my elbow
2: basically he's the best thing ever in the whole <laughs> An <entire> asshole <laughs> right here
0: <laughs> he's in transcendence anyone what anyone what? get it's... at it Pat, just get out of here no one I saw no Transcend- one, no one transcendence
2: he was wow. he was fine and weird in pacific rim which was terrible around him so you know there
1: you know oh, he was in Paci- jesus all right Clif- i'm apparently clifton collins junior blind because i don't remember any of this
0: yeah. katie do you do you have an actor here
1: yeah, I think you guys might uh, tease me for uh, bias. So I was going to go with my boy, James McAvoy, who Ooh. I have uh, been uh, a fan Wow. Wow. Uh, okay. No, I'm on your team. No, well, I mean, David. Yeah. David, this is why the, the viewers hate you. There was a
3: turtle having an <laughs> orgasm <laughs> on the
1: microphone. A turtle.
0: Uh,
1: orgasm. I think... James McAvoy has been good in a number of fine movies that aren't that great, including Starter for Ten and Penelope. I Wanted is not a good no. movie at all. The Last Station is not a good movie at all. The Conspirator is not a good movie at all. He's made some terrible filth
3: choices. Filth is a terrible, terrible movie in which he is filth. terrible.
1: I saw- um, I'll go to Bat for Atonement. Trance Tornment. is good. Trance. I yeah. saw Trance is, oh. Trance is fine. Oh, Trance is terrible. He's not oh, that special on it. is I will go to and Bat he... for Atonement.
0: Yeah,
3: Atonement is yeah. wonderful. He doesn't really do anything in it, but it's wonderful.
1: But
0: that's so that's the thing. There's a lot of actors who are like in good movies. They're not great though because they're not good enough. And when they're really good, the movies aren't good enough, right?
1: Well, and Atonement I think is a movie that's not about the performance he's able to give. Like he is, he's a kind of a tool in that movie to yeah be, a, be the feelings that Karen Knightley and Saoirse Ronan put their you know emotions into. And he is in that giant D-Day scene, and he doesn't you know he just has to have to hold the screen. He's a pawn in
0: an epic long shot.
1: Kind of, yeah. (laughs) I mean, I I like the movie a lot and I love Joe Wright, but I feel like He's shown talent in enough things and in a variety of things. I think started for 10 is this really lovely little movie that he and Benedict Cumberbatch were both very funny in. Um, and he's just kind of waiting for his uh, Sherlock equivalent I guess. And it might be uh, Eleanor Rigby which I have not seen. Uh, as I talk about this? Oh, okay. I, Maybe it's not.
0: I hate um, anyway. I didn't hate that movie. You know it I, love, not good. I love I <laughs> love. You hate it because other people like it. I love no,
1: James
3: I, I saw it before anyone else saw it and this I was immediately was just like not a good movie <laughs> and watching all of the build up to his actual release have you seen we'll be the judge of that. That's down the This is the line. what
1: happens when we start recording late. David is in a spectacularly I know. bad
3: movie. I'm in a terrific movie.
2: I love, no, uh, Joanna, what were you going to i pick? would to say I love James McAvoy and Becoming Jane, which is not a good movie, but he is great
1: in it. And I have not seen that one. Great in it. I got a big crush Anne
2: Hathaway, not my pick for Jane Aww. Austen, but I like her in general, but she's Jeez, not. She's who
0: I should have picked for this <laughs> but She's actually. not Jane
1: Austen, But, but. That's actually, Anne Hathaway's a great, I, although I would argue uh, Anne Hathaway's pretty great in Divorce probably. Yeah.
0: I don't know why I keep going to Batman. People hate Anne Hathaway so much. And Anne I am an Anne Hathaway. <laughs> but, to yeah. Remember.
1: And then the intern comes I think out, another good candidate princess of next year.
2: <laughs> I think another good candidate is Rebecca Hall, who's also in Starter. That's why
1: I fell in the start *Starter for 10. Rebecca Hall is a great, yeah. that, she was someone I had in mind before yeah. I sat on her. Also
3: movie. in Transcendence.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> also in, yeah. The entire cast of Transcendence Save Johnny Depp deserves better in general. Uh, Patches, what's your pick?
0: Uh, Yeah, this might be um, controversial. I'm curious to see if you guys agree here. I was going to pick Michael Caine.
1: Another Wait, is he in Transcendence? No, that's Morgan Freeman.
0: No, he just seems like he's in Transcendence. (laughs) He should be, right? It came between Dark Knight Rises and Interstellar. He's in
1: Interstellar instead. He
0: should be there, but for some reason he's not. How baffling. Um, I don't know. I was just like going through his IMDb page. A lot of good movies, and we, we, we think of Michael Caine as bringing the gravitas, right? Bringing this british elegance to big blockbusters these days but i mean he was in a lot of he's been nominated for an oscar several times but for movies that are kind of like okay yeah i guess it was good like the quiet american cider house rules um even like sleuth from 72 alfie, alfie. i mean these movies are good they're good they're just not great but he seems we we seem to love him now Hannah and her sisters might be a great movie. It but, is, but
1: he's he's not the standout in it.
0: Right, he's not the reason I, I love that movie. But yeah, but he won the Oscar. He won the Oscar for best supporting role. So he's great in
3: that movie, and it's a great movie. So I wonder if he's disqualified. And well,
0: that's why it's controversial. <laughs> I'm sure people are raising their arms. Do the broken voice. i Michael
3: Cohen. When he gets angry, he speaks very <laughs> loud indeed. Uh-
0: i Michael Caine. I'm a great actor. In for
1: uh, Jude Law. Since we bought up Alfie, I feel like Jude Law is a good candidate for this. as well. They have a
0: ju- Weren't they both in Sleuth together? Yeah, no. The they remake? are. They are. I but think...
1: also, actually, talented Mr. Ripley's. A yeah, Dickie thing. Greenleaf. It, so I-, I feel
3: like
0: I the synapses wrong.
3: in Katie's brain must have connected. To <laughs> the, uh, yeah, I am in a in good room. actor,
0: David. What's been going on, David? What did you? What I are oh you? Oh my God, Barry. David, I'm what is your actor? Too many
3: Batman, Mr. Bruce.
0: With David, who? Did Jeez. you pick for this? Do you do you have another one, or Alfred is Alfred the no, guy? He's okay, my, he's my guy. All,
3: All
0: right. right, so that that about wraps things up on this mini segment. I'm just <laughs> up, we're calling it. It's over. <laughs> Uh, so, so later in September, uh, Terry Gilliam, uh, a visualist notor of sorts, um, a very famous director, perhaps influential, I'm curious to know if you guys would uh, agree with that, uh, has a new movie coming out, The Zero Theorem. I think it's played a few festivals. David, you might know best. Has Zero Theorem premiered to the world? I believe it may have played South By or Fantastic Fest last year or something. Yeah, that all sounds about right. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's it's been exposed to the world. And I think it's getting kind of so-so reactions. It comes out September 19th on a number of platforms. Um, and I've seen the film and I can't talk too much about it right now, but uh, it is very much of the Gilliam vein. It actually reminds me of Brazil quite a bit because it's about a lowly cog in this machine, but it's certainly for the iPad age. It's about Hackers and computer programmers who basically play video games to try and solve equations that uh, explain the purpose of life. It's a very strange film, but Christoph Waltz stars in it as this uh, uh, the programmer in the center of it all, um, and he is very much a Gilliam character. He's crazed. He's manic. Uh, Gilliam puts his camera right in christoph waltz's face most of the time and um it has that energy that many of gilliam's films have had before without making a lot of sense just like gilliam's films of the past uh because he's so enamored by the visuals he's putting up on screen um zero theorem plays fast and loose with uh, narrative and, and the explanation for why the things that we're watching on screen actually happen but I wanted to turn to a lot of what Gilliam has done in the past since his animation um, from the 60s and 70s to his debut, Monty Python and the Holy Grail, which is one of the fucking funniest movies I've ever seen in my entire life. And I'm like, every time I revisit, I'm like, it just cannot be this funny. Uh, and it's so successful. He co-directed it with Terry Jones of Monty Python. And this movie is like one and two, or two steps away from actually just being a once a Future King or, or a true medieval epic, but and yet there are all these funny twists that we know and love and can quote the wazoo out of today. Um, and just his work in general. Uh, Terry Gilliam seems like this guy who just, we, we, he, he's a great director, right? In our minds, he's done so much work and he's contributed so much to the craft and kind of as an outsider to the Hollywood system. And yet, and yet, I'm not sure he's a great director i'm not sure he's ever really been successful either maybe he's a failure through and through and that's why we like i, him. I like to call this
3: guillermo del toro syndrome
0: hmm. okay that's interesting but <laughs> where, I, I think guillermo every, skews more hollywood than terry right gilliam.
3: but it's along the same lines where everybody loves him and, and this sort of idea is incepted into their minds that he is a a great filmmaker and uh, you know guillermo del toro is not an eighth of the filmmaker that terry gilliam is But, uh, you know, suddenly you see like, you know, a a violently terrible piece of shit like Pacific Rim and it forces (laughs) you to take a step back and realize, oh, this guy that I always would just naturally assume uh, was a terrific filmmaker. Now that I look at his projects, they're all sort of mediocre and maybe his best movie is actually Blade 2. And that's strange. Um, So, uh, yeah. So I think that Terry Gilliam is sort of like the the zanier far more talented and combustible. Well, they both have
1: striking
2: visual styles, Del Toro and Gilliam. You can tell a Del Toro project or a Gilliam project. Um, But whether or not there's actual artistry behind the visuals is the question mark,
0: right? Right. What makes Gilliam such a a more accomplished filmmaker in your mind, David, than Guillermo Del Toro? What is he putting alongside the visuals that or is it just the bite that he comes at a project with i mean he's a very vicious aggressive filmmaker you can tell there's a lot of anger about social issues and and the themes that he's kind of digging his hands into but is that can that be too erratic i mean is it still a failure why is he more accomplished yeah
3: well i mean i think that his uh I, before pacific Rim, i would say that his failures were more spectacular than of the Toro's failures in, in the worst ways. I mean, he goes for broke and, and sometimes his muse leads him astray. And that's the price you pay for people of this particular subset of genius. You, you end up with a Tideland and the Imaginarium of Dr. Parnassus, which is not quite as challenging, but, uh, you know, right. in some ways even less interesting. And then really at the sort of the nadir of his, uh, his efforts, it's not like the Brothers Grimm where, you know, he's really... As if he needed another reminder to work smaller and outside of the <laughs> if, system. If
2: Brothers Grimm were to come out now, it would be the most popular thing in the whole world because he was right, right before the like reinvented <laughs> the fairy, fairy tale, tale wave. Yeah,
1: right. is it really straightforward enough for it to have? I mean, yeah, yeah the it problem is, is. is, like the is that it is. Except yeah, except for Peter Stormare, yes, <laughs> whatever. Well, yeah,
3: um, Peter, Peter Stormare is Peter Stormare, oh. but the. Uh, yeah, I mean, he I
0: transcends think. all.
3: <laughs> and Brother, Brother Scrim, you know, the reason I don't lump it in with Thailand, the imaginary, do, imaginary with Dr. Parnassus, is because it is like a, a solid single. You know, like it really – it knows what it wants to do and it does it reasonably well. But I well, think, what's you know, so the, uh,
0: amazing is that Thailand seems like the bigger failure when he goes out on his own and makes this indie film that he claims is pure him, no studio interference. Thailand is a much bigger disaster in terms of in coherence sense? and dramatic – Tension, and I mean, I just think the the movie's a mess. It's a, it's. I'm I'm kind of in awe of it because of how bold it is with all the like drug addict stuff with Jeff Bridges, and how wacky it is when this little girl starts going on her what's essentially a drug trip (laughs) of her own, of her own design. But you were
3: asking originally, sort of like what sets Terry Gilliam apart from Guillermo del Toro, and I think you you look at his certifiable masterpieces, of which Guillermo del Toro has none, Uh, you'll get Brazil, and uh, I think time is going to continue to be kind to films like The Fisher King, uh, in the Adventures of Baron Munchausen.
2: And Time Bandit. Time Bandit.
3: And Time Bandit is huh, kind of. <laughs> uh, but and, and 12 Monkeys, which, you know, if it directs people towards L'Agite, Grade and the bros
0: but of the world. But that's not successful. Well, the Gilliam's bros part. of the world
3: will always have fear and loathing in Las Vegas. To,
0: wow. You know, I don't think it's quite there.
2: bros. It's not like the people who watch Scarface. It's I, it, bros well, is not the I right designation, It's the either. That's the
0: bro versions uh, of but I hippies. I there's,
2: and a,
3: uh, there's a complete the to his film. There's a. There's a depth, there's a purpose. I mean, it's hard to distill into just a sentence or two, um, but there is a cohesion to the movies that he's best known for that really feels like uh, a message from a higher power, almost, that he's transmuting into his own very borderline disgusting aesthetic. And it has this, like, very creepy... uh, Element to it, I don't know. And Guillermo del Toro just feels it feels overly affected. It feels like the story is uh, submitted to the imagination at work, where the imagination is really on display, but at servicing itself. Um, in a way that is kind of masturbatory and enjoyable, as masturbation can be, but also because there's nothing really... But uh, if you're watching it, is it? Uh, uh, right. Uh, it's uh, less so. But there, let you know, some people are into it. I don't know. I don't judge um, what you you can. you watch. You can be but honest the, here. Uh, <laughs> no one's listening. It's fine. I, <laughs> but,
2: <sighs> I feel like we can talk about Terry Gilliam as like a whatever, a beautiful disaster or whatever it is we're getting towards without talking about loss and La Mancha and his yeah. whole failed Don Quixote project that he did. And the great he's documentary. Still doing. That he's still doing. Mm-hmm. And the great documentary sure, that sprung up around it. Like, that is one of my favorite documentaries about filmmaking. And um, I, I yeah, urge Gilliam, everyone to check it
0: out. Gilliam is such a... I mean, he—he. He, it's funny that he wants to live on the fringes of the business. And yet he seems so intertwined with its pitfalls, right? Uh, since Brazil, it's been about how Gilliam is is battling suits who want to cut up his movies or change the direction or make them more accessible to people. Uh, and then after Brazil came um, failed projects, he wanted to do a tale of two cities. He wanted to make Watchmen into a movie. He can't get anything done lost La Lamar. You know, he's doing man who killed Don Quixote. It explodes at his face. It literally just fails on all levels. It disappears. And then brothers grim is a Weinstein nightmare that we've, You know, been hearing about ever since (laughs) with every other director. Um, The man has a problem, he's a lightning rod to failure but is it by his own design like can that possibly be is he just cursed or is this something where that we can kind of parse from his his direction that is he such a renegade when he's making movies is he so in deep in his own vision i mean the man works with writers he's not just like pulling from his brain and putting on the screen the curse
3: bit feels a bit uh overblown and i think. Reminds me of the self-mythologizing that directors of his, uh, Werner Herzog and Lars von Trier, and people of those stripe are all too happy to
0: perpetuate because. But is that a, a sign of it? The people you just mentioned are great dramatists. Are I mean, yes. maybe you need that in your life to be someone who who can be so aggressive and well, be so well, contained. Not necessarily.
3: In their I mean, like you know, this is will it will uh, be jarring to put this director in that company for some people but uh I, for whatever reason the first person to jump to mind was like someone like sofia coppola who has a very quiet life is not really in any sort. Of, her, her movies just sort of happen <laughs> um, without much without much controversy uh and they uh, you know i think uh, you know I, you, you can cite a thousand directors who uh, make good to great films even immortal films can that we, don't require this sort of mythos.
2: I think in addition to his visuals, which are so distinctive, c- Terry Gilliam's also surprisingly kind of an actor's director, not...
0: It, it, I think that comes from comedy, on, honestly. Uh, maybe, that comes like, from working with a comedy troupe.
2: Yeah, his stuff is so c- uh, cartoonish that you don't think about, but when you start to think about the individual performances... Like, honestly, Heath Ledger in Brothers Grimm, I I love him in that movie. I think he's so good. Everyone cites Brad Pitt's performance in 12 Monkeys as like a big linchpin in his career in terms of when people started taking him seriously as not just a pretty boy actor. You know, like there are these interesting opportunities that he provides. They're not realistic performances, but they're so interesting, you know?
0: I think about, you know, we always say, okay, a new Woody Allen movie is coming out. Who is playing Woody Allen? in this movie uh and i i've been watching terry gilliam movies and i'm like these people are playing terry are they? you know robin williams and the fisher king is terry gilliam Brad Pitt and Twelve Monkeys is Terry Gilliam. Uh, you know, every, everybody at Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas is Terry Gilliam. These people are just really angry and twisted and wild and just want to le- like get off the leash of the world of society of of conformity. And you you can feel that in every movie. You can feel that in Monty Python. That's what and or his animation too. That's just like um, satirizing Victorian era imagery and, and injecting it with absurdism and and satire. Uh, It's all about getting off the leash. And I think these wild performances, someone who doesn't have to adhere to realism uh, or or the the confines of what movie performances are supposed to be, uh, is Gilliam kind of channeling himself into these people.
1: That does it for today's Fighting in the War Room We will not be back Later this week With the review segment We are taking a review Week off to uh, regroup Find some movies We want to talk about <laughs> All of those things <laughs> We're going um, hunting <laughs> Late August is a strange time And uh, none of uh, Only David saw If I Stay So you can uh, You can hunt him down In the streets of uh, Brooklyn And ask him to tell you About what happens To Chloe Moretz yeah. We will not do a podcast About it <laughs> She's a, she's a ghost a, day here She's, she's, she's not a a ghost. Girl, right? <laughs> <laughs> She's the salmon girl Right uh, She's the salmon girl Anyway, we'll be back next week. uh, And in the meantime, tell the people who you are.
0: I am Matt Patches. I write all across the internet. And I try and put everything on mattpatches.com. I'm on Twitter, at Mr. Patches. I do another podcast with Joanna Robinson and Dave Gonzalez called Republic City Dispatch, which is how one person refound this podcast at some point. Uh, And that is about the Legend of Korra on Nickelodeon. And it's a lot of fun. And, yeah, and also we have a website, fightinginthewarroom.com, where we post all the information for the show and the music notes and all sorts of things. And we want you to comment and give us feedback. Uh, We love it. Great way to engage. Fightinginthewarroom.com.
3: I'm David Ehrlich. I am the editor-at-large of Little White Lies magazine. Uh, I also write for The Dissolve and Complex and the AV Club. You can find me on Twitter at David Ehrlich and at Criterion Corner. And you can find all of us together including Joanna. Why not, Joanna? Come hang out on our Facebook. <laughs> Always fighting, Joanna. Fighting in the war room. Uh, we will talk to you. The end.
2: <laughs> uh, I'm Joanna Robinson. You can find me almost every day on VanityFair.com. You can follow me on Twitter at Joe Wrote this. You can listen to me on Republic City Dispatch Podcast or the Station Agents Podcast. Or you can find me, I guess, on that Facebook page that Eric mentioned. But most of all, I think you should call me Uh, or actually rather the podcast, not me personally, at 914-410-6450 and give us your best ghost impression.
1: And I'm Katie Rich. You can also find me at VanityFair.com and on Twitter at Katie Rich, K-A-T-E-Y-R-A-C-H. Twitter is also the place where you can find the entire podcast at F-I-T-W-R, where we this week are talking about
0: Yo, yes, it's uh, in honor of If I Stay. Who is the worst movie ghost? Because Chloe Grace Moretz is definitely a ghost of the movie. And it is
1: not in honor of Don Pardo, who we respect greatly. Oh my god! I'm
0: so I'm really upset about Don Pardo.
1: Don Pardo will make a great ghost. We're confident about it. He is Mike Myers, (laughs) Dana Carvey. Okay, sorry. Oh my god! Uh, Thank you for listening, and we will be back talking to you next Tuesday.